In this week's episode, we're speaking with Andrew Tilling, a trainer and trained actor, and you'll see why I'm mentioning that uh, in just a moment. Andrew's remarkable ability to help people to achieve change is very much rooted in personal tragic circumstances and the strength and healing required to come to terms with their aftermath. This is a really gutsy, no-holds-barred interview with Andrew, and we thank him sincerely for sharing a story with us and with you today. This is episode 18 of the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. Let's hear the music. Hey, and welcome to the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. Good morning to you or good evening to you, wherever you may be. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the podcast for training business owners, training business professionals all around the world. And the premise or goal of the episodes every single week is simple. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Now, if this is your first time here, I'd like to extend a big personal welcome to you. And if it's not, uh, welcome back. Today's guest, as I said before the music, is someone called Andrew Tilling. Andrew is someone I've worked with. Um, we've worked together on a couple of projects, most recently training the sales team of a major athletics brand in Germany. I won't go into uh, the details as to who that is, obviously, but Andrew's a really, really professional guy, and his story is really interesting. I didn't know these things until he told me this uh, in the podcast interview today. Andrew, for a while, was homeless, he was unemployed, and he was couch surfing at one point. Andrew basically had no idea in which direction to go uh, in the aftermath of a family tragedy, all of which he's going to talk about. Uh, he found himself escaping to India. I did not know that either. And the goal there was to get away from everything. And there, he believes he met himself for the first time. Andrews tells us how the masks which he'd worn to hide himself from others and from himself began to slip off. And in that moment of revelation and insight, he recognized that he could help other people who were also enduring significant change in their lives. It's a really, really interesting story. Let's meet Andrew. Andrew, hi, this is Mark. Thanks for coming on the program. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. And I, th and I think it's a, it's a great project that you're working on as well, Mark. I think it's a, um, a chance for, for us to kind of share stories. Cause I know it's been a bit of a, um, bit of a challenge getting myself to the point where I, you know, I've got work coming in, in, in this fantastic job as a trainer. So, um, I think, you know, it, it's something I'd really wish it would had been around when I was starting out. Yeah. Well, uh, it's again, a privilege as well for me to talk to trainers like you around the world. Um, we've also worked together, uh, and I'll allude to that or mention that shortly, but in the meantime, um, you have the privilege of calling us this morning or coming on the show from Tuscany which is a lovely region in Italy. I was married there, uh, it so happens, in 2011 uh, in a place called Castellina in Chianti. But as people can possibly tell from your accent, you're actually from England originally. So what took you to Italy? I am. I'm a, I'm a Kent lad. Uh, I mean, to begin with, it was, it was about um, my wife's family. You know, my, my wife's Italian, so she's based out here. She's from Parma, where all the good 
ham and cheese comes from and <laughs> and so that was a, a natural place to get married um which was an amazing amazing experience getting married out here so i can completely relate um i highly recommend that to anybody um but um for me it was um it's also a, a beautiful place to to kind of step back and to have my own kind of space i'm uh, i do a lot of um work where i'm in front of people in front of crowds and um you know surprisingly uh given that i started out as an actor years and years ago um I, i'm a bit of an introvert more than i am an extrovert and as much as i love that whole kind of uh, on stage feeling and that buzz that comes from it it does tend to burn me out so um tuscany is a is a place where i come back to to reconnect with myself to create that space for me again and and kind of charge up ready for the next adventure really it's uh, yeah it's funny you should say that because i'm um i've done my uh, mbti and my uh, 16personalities.com um <laughs> psychometric um assessment or evaluation several times and I'm, I'm if i recall properly uh um yeah introverted quite 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 a lot actually but with that said i connect with lots of trainers who tend to be introverted but they get the buzz from training but then they need some kind of space to reflect upon what they've done so there's nothing wrong i think a lot of people think that introversion is some kind of uh you know um maybe some kind of problem indicating uh, a reluctance to engage with people, but it's also a strength because it makes people very reflective, introspective in a good way. Um, so yeah, I can recognize that in you, but coming back to this for a moment, um, you're a trainer. We have worked together on several projects and we work with the same training company as associates. In fact, we, we most recently worked in Germany this year um, on a, on a quite an interesting project to do with presentation skills. So let, let's talk about, um, where you were before you and I met, w how did you come to training? Because you, you, you've, you've a very interesting background. You said you're an actor and you've worked delivering training for social entrepreneurs. How did that come about and what happened next? Well, I think my mum and dad really were a big influence on that because my, my mum had a, uh, a theater school that was, just you know filled our lives you know with at every given moment uh with with really great projects and lots of people around and and uh you know i, I think we you know we we got used to trying our hand at something and i remember one real clear principle she really instilled in us um was to always leave a place better than when you found it and you know originally that was of course the hall that we were doing some <laughs> some rehearsals in but um it kind of became the organizations we join and the clubs that we participate in. And it was all about, and the school that we went to, it was all about what can we do to make things a little bit better. Um, my dad was a, uh, was a policeman and um, very involved in, in charity projects that came up. In fact, he, he organized um, the largest peacetime convoy ever to leave the UK. Um, when there was a, um, it came out on the news that there was uh, the Romanian orphans, um, were, were kind of being found. Do you remember back in uh, late eighties, nineties, and um, and it really moved my dad seeing these pictures of all these kids who were kind of being locked away for for years. And um, we had a couple of uh, of those orphans come and stay with us for medical treatment at one point. And I remember Florentina. You know, she was um, eight years old, pretty much the same 
ages my sister, but the size of really a, a two and a half, three year old. So it was, a, it was a really emotive, uh, emotional experience for me. Um, kind of connecting with these things and seeing, seeing people trying to do something about it. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of got going with the theater thing and, and was really enjoying that. And we had a, um, a hell of a tragedy in that we lost my elder brother, John in a motorbike accident. And this, um, this very kind of well-known family in the press, you know, because we were doing all these projects, you know, it, that was front page news in the local rag and, and, um, and it, and it started a, a, a it, you know, all the cracks began to show because it, it just, you know, just broke all of us really. And, um, but something, I, there was a significant moment for me when I, I kind of stepped into this role of being, he was the oldest. I was, I was the second and I felt like I needed to step into that older brother role for, for my little brother and sister. And, and I suddenly, you know, I found myself basically putting on a mask, you know, being the, the guy who could, um, hold it all together when, when everything else was falling apart. And, and it was a mask I, I kept on for a long time. Um, there was the mask of the successful actor. I went off and went into acting and then, you know, and, and trying to hold it together, trying to be successful. And, and gradually, you know, you start feeling your motivation begin to, 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 to disappear. And I, um, I remember having this this rejection letter from the BBC and just, you know, falling apart. Really, it was a it was a horrible night, and and I really kind of well, the mask slipped for the first time, and I and I grabbed a new one pretty damn quickly, and and took on the really threw myself into drama teaching, but then that didn't quite work, and I was that was feeling frustrated that that didn't quite feel right, so I I ended up shifting it more towards personal development. And that really, everything started really moving then. Suddenly I ended up with 400 students. I'm 27 years old and just, you know, 400 students, you know, running around. And I, I had this um, meeting with a with a mother who said, you know, thank you so much for what you're doing for my child. But um, I, uh, I really don't think what you're doing for them in giving them these breakthroughs, you're doing for yourself. <laughs> I tell you, I, I ran. <laughs> it was like, I, I felt, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm totally exposed here. I'm a fraud, you know, imposter syndrome and all that. And I, and I, I ran more than a mile. I, I ran basically to India. I sold everything packed up and, and really kind of thought, you know, I need to get my head around what it is I'm trying to do. And so began three years of personal development that, um, uh, and you know, I, but really it was a whole bunch of more masks. It was a spiritual mask and, uh, you know, the guru mask and the traveling mask. And I ended up broke, penniless <laughs> couch surfing, you know, basically homeless and without a career, without a job and really not knowing where to go. And I ended up having a breakdown on the beach in India and I'm sitting there, you know, looking at these masks floating around me going, you know, I, I, I don't know what I want to wear. I don't know what I want to put on. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. And, and that's when I found this space that wasn't any of them. That was just this quiet observer. And I, for the first time, I kind of met myself as somebody who just wants to leave the place a little bit better than how I found it. And how has that strengthened you? Because it sounds like a lot of, uh, you know, a per perception there, um, having to wear masks, having had 
and been through some pretty awful experiences. Um, a lot of people, and I'm, I can recognize that too, uh, often struggle in finding their, their identity and who they are and what they want and how they can help the world and fit into the world. Do you think that's in any way made you more powerful as a trainer, as, as a as what you call a change maker, which is your brand. Well, I'm a changemaker.com was a, um, it was my, my attempt to kind of, kind of go, look, look, these are the actual people that I want to work with and connect with are people who actually care about, about making a difference. And, um, but that that's taken me a long time to get to that place. Um, from, from that point, from that beach, what really strengthened me was because I was coming from a very authentic place. And I felt like I didn't have anything to prove to anybody. I didn't feel, you know, it's just, this is just me. And I'm an ordinary guy who's just me, you know, and I'm coming from that place rather than the acting and trying to put on a role and trying to be successful and trying to be, you know, keeping everything polished and clean and sparkly meant that I was connecting with people in a really genuine, authentic way for the first time in my life. And out of those ordinary conversations, those connected, real conversations, um, I started building. Uh, a lot of empathy for people. And out of that empathy came um, really surprising insights. And um, well, within a year, just through having conversations, I'd raised a million pounds for charity. Um, through Yeah, it was just kind of getting that, that job fundraising and building a team and going out there and talking with people, just genuine conversations and helping my team have genuine conversations um, about what, what they care about and what, what motivates them about the world and what they want to see different and, and, and then inviting people to make donations. Yeah. We, we uh, had a very big result and within a year after that, um, I'd led a, a culture change project within the business that, that was running the, this, um, this fundraising campaigns. And we'd uh, doubled results and raised 27 million pounds. Huge result. It, it was, it was, a, it was a really a really special time. And, and while I earned a lot of my gray hairs over that year and a half, <laughs> I, I have them too. <laughs> <laughs> what I did get was this, that this empathy thing is really, really powerful when it comes to working with complex stakeholder environments. And if you can go into an environment, then you can go into a place and say, okay, look, rather than go, this is my point of view and this is what I want to deliver. This is the vision that I want to create. And this is what I think you should still get behind. If you go in there saying, tell me about you, tell me what your challenges are, what is it, how do you see the business, how do you see things going, what you end up with is a bit of an empathy map. And I, I like to map out my stakeholders and really understand where they are, what they want to get to, how invested they are, what they're, what's at stake for them, literally. And um, with, out of that empathy comes this great insight when you ask that question, how do I get from where we are to where we want to be? Can you explain that, Andrew, the, the idea of the empathy map? Because that's the first time I've heard that uh, expression. Well, I'm sure that everybody in in training has con- come up with this, heard the concept of value, right? We're trying to add value uh, to a, to our customers. We're trying to add value to, um, to the people that we work with. And um, you know, customers want values, you know, so how do we, how do we identify what that value is for them and how do we work to, to, um, uh, to deliver that for them? And, and I think that that's a really strong place to start, not just when you think about the, the customer that you're working with, but if, if you break things down into the people that they're working with, if you think about it in terms of people who, um, that are going to be affected by the decisions that they make, um, 
you know, if you, if you know, just take, for instance, um, uh, you know, when you think about the, the listening exercises that governments do to, you know, when they're thinking about a new policy, you know, they, 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 they map out the different stakeholders and the people who are going to be affected both negatively and positively and, and try to understand the challenges that are going on. And, you know, that, that listening exercise, while, while it can be dismissed, I think is terribly, terribly important because the, the brain is, is really good at coming up with, um, uh, with answers to, to questions. But if you don't ask the right question, as any coach knows, you don't tend to get very useful answers and useful responses. Change the question, you can often change the result. So for me, it's, it's um, about informing the question I ask of how do we get from where we are to where we want to be and work to build empathy with each of those stakeholder groups then something really powerful and very subtle happens and it i learned this in my creative um creative work as an actor that um if you rather than trying to use data if you connect with someone on a really empathy based level an emotional level then you, it's much easier for your brain to just come up with creative solutions it's 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 quite magical really i i, I always find it quite amazing. Once you get these two points crystal clear, where are we now? Where do we want to be? How do we get there? And if you've got those clearly, those points clearly defined, then your brain simply starts coming up. You start getting ideas just popping into Join your head. Dots, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's it. It's like, it's like a, um, it's like Google maps, you know, you can have, if you, you can have a really clear vision about what it is that you're trying to achieve about the, the direction that you want to go. This is my destination. But if you, if you haven't got an accurate location, <laughs> if the phone hasn't found where you are yet, then every single direction that it gives you will be wrong. Right. So you need to know where you're starting from before you can really understand. Uh, well, put it this way. You need to know where you want to end up and also know where you're starting from to be able to map some kind of clear path between things. Peter Senge said it in the, um, in the fifth discipline uh, years ago, that the, um, fantastic book around um, learning organizations. But if, if you understand enough about where you are and enough about where you want to be, the path become, between the two becomes clear. So what my work is doing is kind of saying, well, look, if you, um, if you don't know what your next step is as an organization, as a business, as, a, as a, an individual wanting to make an impact in the world, as as a as a person trying to develop your career, then it means you don't understand enough about where you and your stakeholders are or enough about where you want to be. So go and explore those a little bit further, build some empathy, get that clear sense of of where people want to go and 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 where the challenges they face. and and you're going to find that you start tweaking your ideas to accommodate and to factor in these 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 different issues and and these and that's when the real breakthrough comes. That's where the real innovation comes. and and if, it's an approach that I've used for um, it's, it's the approach I used during the, the the change projects I was leading for the fundraising organization. But it's an approach I've used for social enterprise to get to break through with social innovation and come up with with ideas that literally change the world. Um, I've used it with uh, businesses um, have struggling with sales teams and and not getting the the breakthroughs that they want. I've I've used it really to generate millions in, in revenue and pipeline in donations, um, and in, in real genuine value. And 
and that making a big impact on people's lives. It is it's a golden golden question to ask. So you would you would describe yourself then, I suppose, over coffee to someone who's never met you before as literally a change maker, someone who facilitates a conversation which organisations often have to have internally to understand what's important to them and where they want to go, where they want to end up, and sometimes. Maybe there are blocks to that. People don't perhaps approach that conversation with an open mind or are reluctant to have it for various reasons. And, and you feel that as a change maker, you can actually uh, coach that. Is, that. is that about right? Change is terrifying, Mark. Yeah, yes, that, that is that right. But you, we're, we're moving ourselves out of our comfort zone. And, you know, we're, we're really good. For, I mean, given that change is the only constant in the universe, it's amazing how bad we are as human beings, you know, we're shocking. And you know, the only, the time that we actually became good at doing it was when we start started learning how to communicate the minute we could start sharing ideas and sharing insight and, and, um, really using that frontal lobe of ours, um, that, that kind of thinks about futures and thinks about how, you know, how the various different scenarios will play out. When we started doing that as a group, we became far more effective. But in organizations, we are terrible at that communication, especially when we've got organizations which are top down. And the more organizations are hierarchical, what tends to happen is that people at the top making the decisions don't have the empathy insight that comes from people down below. And what I tend to do is I go on in and as I speak to these various different stakeholder groups, I start building often the first um, clear picture of what's actually happening in the organization and the kind of impact that choices have make um, that the organization's had in a long time. And then when I start sharing those issues, people start going, do you know what? That's it. That's the, that's the problem. That's the, that's the issue. Um, that's exactly where we're at. It's, it's, I think where that old adage comes from about what a consultant, you know, consultant, you know, you, you ask a consultant or something that you, what time it is. And they, they, uh, they come on in, they ask for your watch. They take your watch. They tell you what the time is and then they hand your watch back to them and send you an invoice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard something like that. Yeah. Look, coming back for a moment to, to your acting, I, I find that quite interesting because, um, for some reason, I, I keep bumping into trainers who are good actors, uh, and and maybe acting's brought them to training. Do, do you think that's something that a, a trainer who, listening to this who isn't an actor could look into? And and you know, thinking of the skills that's given you, um, and I'm not suggesting training is acting for a moment, but but perhaps there's some crossover. What what kind of benefits could a trainer or consultant get from you know acquiring? Uh, training skills is it confidence or what do you think is the benefit you know some of my old acting friends think you know they, they say don't, don't you miss it you know don't you and i said what, what do you talk about you know i i'm getting i'm getting paid so much money whereas that's what i was paid, yeah. <laughs> right right you know and yeah. it's it's um and i get to spend basically eight hours on stage with a one-man show it's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> of course but then then somebody said to me well you know there's, there's a great book called um who's in the spotlight and i think as a as a trainer it's a great principle that you really need to bear in mind it's kind of like is this is this about you or is it about them and i think i i tend to spend most of my time now it's much more in terms of drama workshop i think was the, it was the workshopping that i was doing helping these, these teenagers develop acting skills that i think has been more useful for me than the performance craft if you like um but what acting has helped me with is um improvisation 
for sure. Um, just being able to respond and, uh, and, and creatively in various different scenarios. There's a great principle of, um, that improvisers use, um, which is accept and build. So it's, it's no blocking. So if somebody says, you know, that I'd know you're doing it, if you've ever seen whose line is it anyway, you know, somebody throws in a random thing. It's a great, it was a great show, right? Somebody throws in a random thing where, you know, you've got to use a lemon for something and, and someone says, you know, have a banana. From that point on, it's a banana. You don't block it. Or you build on it in some way and start, you know, bringing in monkeys or something. But you you don't go, what are you talking about? That's a lemon. Because um, the minute you do that, then the the creative flow is blocked. And, and I think in a... Um, in a training environment, when people start going off script, you know, and the, the delegates start going, um, you know, but, but what about this? Or they challenge this particular point or they say that doesn't work for our organization. The temptation is to say, well, you know, well, let's, let's park that question. Let me put that on the board that we may come back to later on and let me get back to my script where I'm feel safe. And I, I think what, what acting's really helped me to do is to accept that point and really look to you know to follow that thread because often at the end of those thread is real gold um, but it's about being willing and open and feeling safe enough in your in your resources and the insight that you can bring uh, and if you have done that a bit of empathy mapping beforehand and you've 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 got a sense of what's happening in the organization you'll find that um that's much easier you can feel much more confident about addressing those concerns so it's definitely the improvisation but you know the other thing is is that we live in a in a um interconnected world far more online now than we do offline and and i do a lot of my training delivery i do remotely through webinars through um through podcasts i through um and, and also a lot of video and I've got a, a little studio here. Um, you know, it, it's crazy, you know, that the, um, the price of my London flat, uh, the space that we managed to get out in Italy, you know, for the same price was, was quite stunning. And, um, you know, I've got space now for a permanent green screen studio that's set up down there. And I, so I can go down and again, I've got, I have an idea. I want to shoot it. I can go downstairs, switch on the lights, get straight in front of the camera and, and be shooting within 10 minutes. Um, and to do that for my flat in London was, I, you know, I would write off a day to shoot a, a 30 second video. It was a, uh, it was a nightmare trying to get everything set up and, and make everything work. So, um, that, I mean, that, that really helps, but so when it comes to using things like teleprompters, um, you know, whether it comes to just, you know, putting in bullet points or working to a script and um, being able to sight read and, um, and feel comfortable in front of the camera is I think really useful. And, you know, if anybody does feel worried about being in front of a camera, I've got to tell you, that was my, that was my kryptonite. The minute the red light <laughs> went on, on a camera, I, I was, that was it. I was, I was, I was a mess. I just, I felt. And I, I think it kind of boils down to those masks again, you know, that, that back then when I was acting, it was all about putting on a front. And I felt that that eye was so penetrating at that lens um, that everything would, you know, that all the fakery would show. I think so on some kind of level of anxiety that was there. And, and um, but, you know, I, I had some great advice from one of my students and my drama students really did teach me everything there was to know about acting. But um, they, um, they they said you know that this guy uh, Gaston said uh, you know if you feel nervous in front of the camera just spend a day in front of the camera 
And I thought, that's interesting. So when I did get into training and started doing training videos, the first thing I did was to switch on a, a camera, put on that red light, and just talk and talk and talk and talk at the camera. And uh, within two hours, really, didn't need a day, within two hours, that thing did not scare me anymore. It just, it was just what it was. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's when you, if you start getting into editing and you see enough of yourself and your, your face and your, uh, <laughs> then, it, you know, and, and hearing your voice. And I think just, just working through it, it goes away very quickly. You just have to get on. Um, I remember at one point of a training organization we both worked for um, going into the office at one point, and I, I just kind of led this charge in terms of setting up videos and, and getting us a little bit more insights kind of permanently accessible. Um, and uh, just seeing my face on all the screens as people were editing all these videos was a bit freaky. It was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really big in this one office. Uh, that's it. That's just <laughs> You're everyone's favorite screensaver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you can work through it. And, you know, putting yourself out there like that, I think, is um, it's a bold move to make, but it's one well worth making. These are all great resources, really. So acting has literally given you the confidence to just stand up and just improvise, as you said to talk to the camera, to not fear it. Um, but also, I'm just thinking back to my experience, because when I was doing some training, ooh, gosh, we're going back now to 2001, 2002, quite a while ago. Um, and one of the people who came in to give me some kind of training skills class, surprise, surprise, was an actor. In fact, he was a film director. And the things he, he taught me that day and taught us as a team were really extraordinary. We'd never taught, you know, given any thought to, uh, to stagecraft and to how that, you know, is relevant in training, because uh, where you stand in the room, uh, breathing, um, how to, for example, you know, move across the room, stand next to someone, don't, don't budge from that person for a few seconds, just look them in the eye and have just a moment, I think he called it, just literally a moment with that person talking to them as if they're the only person in the room, and then you move away. And then he also taught us uh, techniques about how to, you know, place ourselves at different points in the room just to move the energy around. I mean, you know, the kinds of things you really wouldn't think about. So um, I was just curious about your uh, instinctive response, because mine would be that um, if anyone has the chance as a trainer to get some kind of even a half day or a, or a full day uh, or an ongoing training program, it, it can really help you. I mean, it sounds to me like it's really helped you, particularly given the amount of video and remote training that you're doing nowadays. For sure. I, I think you can you can learn so much from somebody whose job it is to do these things. I'm a, I mean, of course, I'm a fan of training and coaching. You know, I'm a, I'm a trainer and a coach. But um, I think that for us being out there, you know, uh, our connection in front of an audience is our craft. It is our value delivery system. And to get that as oiled and as, as strong as it can be, I think, is a is a is a wise path to take. It's a, um, but I, I don't think though that we need, and, and you know, the point I want to emphasize is that it, unless you are being yourself up there, you're going to, um, you're going to lose half the room. Um, I, you, the, the one or two people who may feel uncomfortable with you not being polished, um, you know, you'll have everybody else with you who feels so much more relieved that they can be themselves too. You set the tone. So I would say um, learn from someone who speaks to audiences as themselves rather than learning from somebody who speaks to, to audiences as somebody else. Yeah. So that comes back to what you're saying about masks. 
So the the acting skills can lend you some kind of technical proficiency in terms of how you address an audience, voice projection, uh, breathing, you know, stance, etc. But what you're saying here, and I think it's really important to emphasize, is do not act. In other words, you're there to deliver a message and um, you're there to ensure that that message is embedded and that, that people can learn that competency and, and prove it to themselves. But it doesn't mean which is what you're saying, stand up and act and pretend to be someone you're not. You know, as you say that, but you're reminding me of a line that my mum used to say. She said that as an actor, you can do any job because you just act like you can do the job until you can do it. And then then you're doing it, right? But my brother, who's a technician, who... You know, he's currently touring with Roger Waters at the moment and oh, installing from, uh, Pink Floyd from Pink Floyd. Wow. Right? Great band. Um, yeah. And an amazing show. Uh, it's, it's stunning. Uh, he's on the us and them tour at the moment. And, um, but he installs this big projector equipment high up in, the, you know, hundreds of meters sometimes above floor st- stadium floors. And, um, you know, he's, he's kind of says, no, that's not how it is. You have to be, you have to know what it is that you're doing. You know, there's risks to be involved. And I think as a trainer, we're kind of somewhere in the middle of that because we do walk into an environment where um, we don't necessarily know the business we are training people who whose jobs we don't necessarily fully understand but but you know so so in terms of that but, but what we do need to do is we do need to take steps to to understand enough of a connection so that we can communicate the value that we can bring and it's all right to kind of to know that there are some lines that, that that are to your knowledge, to the extent of what you know, but also you need to project a sense of confidence in the room. Otherwise, people right from the start are going to feel like you're not um, y- you're not qualified to be there, and and then they put up blocks from hearing the value that you can bring. So for me, I think it's it's very I'm comfortable with, um, for instance, really focusing on aspects of my story that that I relate to the people that I'm working with, right? So in other words, kind of really bigging up various different elements of, of work that I've done so that people can feel like I, they can relate to me better. Um, but what I, I'm very careful about not doing is um, what, what I don't want to do is make out that my skills are different to the, to the ones that they are. So, you know, it, so I think that, you know, there, is, there are lines to draw. So, you know, fake it until you make it, I think is... Um, uh, you know, a, a useful principle in terms of building confidence, but I also think know your limitations and and really respect and honor them, and and you'll find that your your focus will naturally shift to your strengths, and then you can communicate in a very very authentic way that can really bring people on board. So, looking at other things you're doing, um, I've seen you in video. You're great, uh, and I remember that. Uh, when we were last in the same room, we were actually filming wrap-up videos together. These are videos typically filmed at the end of a training day, which the training company can then send on to delegates just to remind them of the kind of key points to to uh, reflect upon and to apply. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about that, and, and you mentioned then when we spoke recently uh, about your pajama rate, and I thought that really made me laugh, you know, because you mentioned you do a lot of work remotely. Now, I don't do a lot of that, but I'm doing a bit, shall we say. And, and what you mean by pajama rate is the, the, the rate you get paid to, to deliver to, to uh, clients remotely. So maybe talk about that for a moment, how, how it works for you. Uh, and maybe for the listeners, how does a trainer kind of get into that and, you know, acquire the skills to do that effectively and and win clients who can ask them to deliver training remotely? Mark, right now you have no idea what I'm wearing. 
I'm pretty <laughs> glad I don't. <laughs> so this is what I mean by, by pajama right. You know, you can be adding value without really taking a shower. You can just get up and get going. Actually, I prefer to. Uh, I like to feel fresh when I'm delivering. But um, but the you know the point is that you can you can kick back and I you know you can be. Uh, wandering around in, in shorts and t-shirt and delivering value to to top CEOs without you know without a problem. And but then there's those times when you're actually going into a business and you're you know you're suited and booted and you are um, you, you've got to put that extra effort in. You know even have, having a coffee break with people is draining energy. So for me, you know delivery is one rate. And when it comes to kind of working from home and to, you know, where I, where I don't have to be on a plane, where I don't have to do all these things, I, I charge a different rate for that um, because it's, well, you know, in my mind, it's a, you know, it's, it's less of a, um, it's less of an effort, less of a draining effort. Um, and it, but it's, I think that, you know, in your own mind, that's one thing, but when it comes to, you know, clients, I've, I've equally, you know, for running for webinars from home, you know, I've charged them more for that than running a training day because of the the work and the prep that kind of goes into it and to the value that it's adding. And I think anytime when you're thinking about your rates, don't think about it in terms of what it's costing you. Think about it in terms of what you are, um, the, the value that you're adding to them. Um, and you know, when it comes to delivering change, which is my focus, you know, really going in there, understanding an organization and understanding that the different challenges that they've got going on and being able to come up with the innovative solutions that with them in order to make these breakthroughs and then making sure there's enough ownership within there to actually deliver that. And then using training and coaching as a medium to, uh, to enable and, and deliver that change. Um, then that's adding a lot more value than just um, you know, going in there and delivering one training day. So I, that's how I tend to price things is, is much more about the value that I deliver rather than, than the, um, the, the work that I put in. So when I think about, um, videos and webinars and podcasts and a lot of the stuff I do from home, what I'm thinking about is, is, um, what can I do to deliver more value in a way which um, is really easy on my time, uses my resources, means I can work from home, and, but I'm, I'm constantly adding really useful value to that to that program of change. Um, so rather than kind of saying, I'm going to sell you three more webinars, if you've priced it in terms of value that you're delivering, um, it doesn't become a fluffy add-on. It becomes a real vehicle for delivering that value. And if it doesn't deliver the value, then you're not going to be interested in, in making it and they're not going to be interested in, in using it. So um, I think it, it, you know, it's about being smart as you build those projects um, to, you know, use the resources that you can. But I think, you know, going back to the acting thing that um, uh, a very dear friend of mine um, who we sadly lost last year uh, was a film director and um, his, his approach was, you know, when it came to film, he said, you know, when you, when you make a film, it's timeless, it's immortal, it, it will stay forever. But with theatre, you know, it's, it's over when the show's over. That's it. It's gone. And the set's broken down and the costumes are used for something else. It's gone. It's disappeared forever. You know, you, you create a moment. And I think with training, often we're in danger of doing that. We go on in, we do a show, everybody feels great and fantastic. And for three days, they may apply one or two of the insights, but the reality is the training book goes into a drawer and it's forgotten about. And I think that 
one thing that, that webinars and podcasts and videos can really deliver is a, is a medium for keeping the training alive. So that's what we call sustained learning. So in other words, you know, don't just have a happy sheet and think that's the job done as a trainer. Uh, we need to literally ensure that the client gets return on investment and that people apply things, bring them to life. Happy sheets for me are how can I make you happier? And if you structure <laughs> your questions in a way which are about what's the learning that you're missing? What's the the question that you're left with? What, you know, what doubts do you have about applying the learning you've learned today? rather than using it as a um, proof to the client that you did a good job. The proof is in the numbers. So if you, if you can frame it in that way, you can really use that to inform your webinars, inform your podcasts, and, and inform your videos. And what's great is that you've got a much stronger empathy with the people you're working with after you've delivered the training day. That's when you've got the great insights. So when you, when you take that moment right at the end, as we were doing, um, in Germany, that that uh, to take that kind of wrap up video and say these are the thoughts that I've got now, and this is where I need, think you need to focus, and here's how it tailors to your experience that you've told me about that day. It's a great moment to add a lot of value. But then in the in the days and weeks that follow, if you're if you're drip feeding more insights that have come from their happy sheet, you'll find that that you you get to sustain that learning much longer over time, and and that's a practice which is desperately underused in training. So you're you're delivering uh training as I do. You deliver it in person. You deliver it remotely. You also uh, coach clients face-to-face and remotely, and you also create training videos. So when it comes to generating business, um, coming to money for a second, what has been the single most effective method or technique or strategy for you to actually attract the kinds of clients that imachangemaker.com needs? Empathy, connection, communication. Okay, so LinkedIn isn't, LinkedIn really isn't your thing. So is there any, you know, I'm, I'm going to pin you to the collar here. What, what are you actually doing to market yourself effectively so people, you know, lift the phone and go, Andrew, come and work for us. We can see why your services are required. What, what works for you? I'm, and, I, and I'll expand on this in a moment, but I'm going to say it again, empathy, connection, and communication. And what I mean by that is that when you go, yeah, I, for, for me, kind of when I first started working out in social enterprise, and I was and, you know, working with, with people who were trying to make a difference uh, with, with their businesses and what they were doing. Um, there, was, there was funding for it. So I would, you know, I'd work with universities who, who wanted to fund these kinds of projects. I'd work with, with different organizations that were set up to deliver government funding to fund these kinds of projects. And so that was great. You know, I'd, I'd, um, I'd demonstrate, talk with them you know, offer them great insights. And, and, you know, it was a product that they wanted, they needed, and they had money that they needed to spend by a certain time. Otherwise, they wouldn't get it next year. So, you know, the market was was fairly fluid, low rates, but fairly fluid. But then when that market dried up, when all the funding got shifted and disappeared, I was in a very different situation. And, and I struggled for a long time to actually get some business in. And it really made me go, okay, I, I need to put my business on hold and I need to go where the money is for a while. And that's when I started looking at corporate training and I, and I applied to, um, one ad, um, for that was looking for an associate trainer. So I put in a trainer video. I went on in and they asked me to deliver a, um, a, a training piece that they'd created for me. And I, you know, as an actor, 
I, I was in a fortunate position that it was very easy for me to learn a script and go and deliver it and follow direction. So I was able to show that I was able to do those things. And very quickly, um, I, I got, I was employed and, and moving forward. In fact, within, um, a couple of months, I was the, um, the head training designer for the company and, and, um, and working to, to really kind of change the direction of what we were doing in terms of videoing and, and, um, and, and, and getting a more creative and engaging experience. But, but here's the thing, working with the, as an associate and with a different company, somebody who, whose primary focus is to generate business for trainers, right? Because that pays their bills. Then it gets gives you a chance to stop focusing so much on trying to generate business and focus a little bit more on delivery and building your craft. And as you go on in, if you focus on empathy, really understanding those different stakeholders, making connections that that are that show that you genuinely care about those outcomes, that you are invested in them and trying to help the decision makers in that business make um, you know, decisions which are stronger, more effective, um, really using and informing them with your skills. And if you are communicating, keeping that communication alive once you've left um, the, the job and, and, you know, and also during letting people know what, what's going on and giving them thoughts afterwards, hey, you know, uh, these people here, I, you know, I think you really need to focus and reward them. I think these, some these guys you need to watch out for. I think there's some concerns there that need to be addressed. This kind of thing. If you, if you keep on finding ways to add value, keep finding those ways to add value, then you will find that over time, well, the, the impression that you make on them becomes very long lasting because empathy, connection and communication builds long lasting relationships. Right. So if you want to be asked back, in other words, if you want people to say, look, that was a great training session. And by the way, Andrew's such a great guy. Uh, he gave us uh, obviously some techniques and tips, but I think, you know, we need to have him in again because there's so much that, um, you know, we need to think about uh, beyond this training session. And, and uh, he's given us some th thoughts that we could use to perhaps uh, create uh, some more, I don't know, benefit internally by having these discussions, these coaching sessions and, and the sustained learning piece. Absolutely. And then what's, what's great that happens is, of course, is then your reputation within the, the associate, the company that you're working with as an associate shoots up because you get, keep, they keep on coming back with these phone calls for more work. And they also ask for you by person or by name, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, that really gave me the confidence to move out to Italy was when, um, there were three company, three uh, different clients that came back to uh, to the business and said, "Look, we want to work specifically with Andrew on a very large project." And I, I knew that I had enough work to um, see me through for the next nine months. I felt then that I, I was confident enough to make the jump, and 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 really that's helped me to build a fantastic lifestyle that I that I cherish. But here's the thing, as an associate, you are locked into a contract often that says that you cannot go and approach those businesses for work that you can't um you know try and upsell yourself into that business in any other ways and and I th I think it's really important to honor that relationship um and never burn your bridges. I think it's it's about investing in those bridges whenever you can. But here's the thing, people move on. People change jobs. And, and when people get known to be change makers within 
organizations. Once the change is done, that's when they tend to move on. So in other words, what you're saying is that sometimes when you as a trainer go in and train someone, then the, the skills which they acquire uh, perhaps sometimes you know, leads them to reach a particular point or a ceiling. And then they think, you know what, with these skills now, I have an expanded horizon. I'm going to move out. And, and, and is, I mean, is that also the consequence of, of good training, do you think? I think it's the, tra- the consequence of good application and, and a good learning mindset. And I think training can help instill that. Um, I think it's important to recognize the impact is their own. Um, um, you know, how you market yourself is, is um, you know, you can talk about the value that you've added that helps your organizations to achieve various different things. So what you're saying then, before I interrupted you, you, you were saying that um, you, you keep the relationship with people and that sometimes they move out of the organization and then sometimes they might reach out to you or someone they know might re- reach out to you through a referral and say, Andrew, I heard you did great work at this company. Uh, you know, X recommended you and and can you come and do some stuff for us? For sure. And that's when you can really then start selling on your own terms. And, um, you know, often as an associate, when you're starting out, you know, you, you get paid a day rate. Once you then people are approaching you as an individual. Remember, they, they they weren't paying you your day rate. They were paying you the agency rate. Which is often a multiple, isn't it, of of what you get paid as a an associate? I'd say five times sometimes, you know, um the the amount. So, you know, if you if you've had that day rate that you've that you've been living on quite comfortably for some time and you suddenly realize that who you're competing against is charging five times that, then it can be a nice bonus for you to say, well, I'm gonna charge you half what the agency rate was paying um you know as a as a way to um uh you know to help me start out because i don't have you know you can be honest you know it's just me and if you come with me directly it's just me you don't get any of the the um administrative support you know there's it may not be a flashy brand you know all those kinds of things but you know the quality that you're getting so i'm i am going to charge you a lower rate to start with um for this project. And then if we move on later on, maybe we will, you know, uh, you kind of reserve the right to put it up later on. And then that way, you know, mon- the issue of money's off the table for both of you. Um, and you can focus on, on really delivering on a great project. And then of course, afterwards, that there's a case of saying, when you turn around and say, look, can I get some referrals? Can I get some, um, some great reviews on my LinkedIn profile and all this kind of thing? People are much more willing to help out because you've been honest and straight and open with them as to where you are, you know, what you're doing. Um, so it makes it, it makes a really big difference, I think. And, and yeah, honesty is key for sure. And, you know, so if I told you that over the last two years, um, I've probably only done, um, about four or five weeks worth of work via the agency that I previously was an associate with, or still am an associate with. Um, but with my, um, through my own work, you know, through, you know, through the contacts that I've built and in my network, um, everything's, everything's come to me, um, without any other marketing that's kept me going for two years. But, you know, I, I now I'm, I'm being, much more proactive in my marketing because I've started building a, um, a business to consumer model um, rather than business to business, which is the um, I'm a changemaker.com, which is focused on, on um, those professionals who have got that kind of feeling that, you know, maybe they're not feeling fulfilled in what they're doing, or there's an inkling of a project they want to do something that, that leaves a mark, something that's going to really help them live fulfill a fulfilled life, you know, a legacy. And, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And and I think the professionals have got the experience and the insights and the learning to draw on that can really help you know, these these kinds of social projects or social focus projects um, really make a difference um, and, and scale very effectively because they've got a sense of what an organization does look at scale. So, so for me, I think it's a great way to build a bridge into um, a sector which, um, while it's very rich in skill, is often thin on resource. And I think helping people to... Um, to make that transition and to build a bridge to where the money is, I think is also really important. So, so I'm a changemaker.com is about all those professionals and, and I've so wanted to start reaching out to those professionals. So my, my strategy for that has been through doing a video a day that just shows my life, my lifestyle, you know, what, the kind of things that I'm doing. So I've been on planes, I've been delivering, I've been, um, you know, working from home, I've been mind mapping at home, I've been doing various different things throughout these videos and just talking about, you know, how I feel that um, people can add value and, and getting ideas and getting a vision for the future. I offer um, free vision building tools and this kind of thing through the site. But the daft thing is, my the the leads that it's generated, I've had more from my business to business <laughs> leads than I've had through the individuals. I, in that, putting myself out there again has meant I've had a stream of inquiries and recommendations and referrals um, and requests for business and. Re- um, requests for proposals um, from from organizations and from people who've moved on and moved out and moved somewhere else and they've come to me directly. Have I understood you, Andrew? You're saying that the um, the, the video, the kind of you're doing the almost like a daily video, that kind of thing is what's generating referrals and, and direct contact. Absolutely. Just a video a day or these, you know, a bunch of likes. And because but the thing is, when you put yourself out there like that, what you're reminding people of value you've already added. And rather than kind of think about it in terms of trying to attract new business, think about it in terms of reminding people of the value that you've already added. And once you've built that network, you know, you, you'll, um, and you've, you've had that associate experience, then if you're going to approach it from that mindset, it becomes much easier to sell yourself because you're, you're just, yeah, you're not trying to, you're not begging for people for business. You're, you're continually finding ways to add value and insights. And that reminds them of what you've done for them in the past. You say something that resonates with them with what they're doing at the moment. And it's, yeah. And they're on the phone and they want to talk with you and they want to bring you into the business. But I guess they have to be on LinkedIn for you to, for them to see their, to see your video, I guess. Well, more to the point, you need to be connected with them on LinkedIn in order for them to see your video. And, and, and I think that, um, unless you're, working to really nurture those connections. Um, you know, again, with those happy sheets, you know, you've got a, a lot of emails there. If you've got the right permission box on that happy sheet, then, you know, you go through those emails and you, you add them all into your LinkedIn profile and you keep everybody on board. Cause you know, somebody who's, who's, um, low power when you do the training course, you know, people get promoted two or three years later, they could be delivering for you you know, the biggest business that you've had that year. That's true, because I'm, I'm thinking of um, another guest I had on the show uh, a couple of episodes ago, uh, who's a, a speaker from uh, Cyprus. His name is Michael Verardi. And he was saying just that, that um, he delivers a lot of courses in places like the University of Lausanne in Switzerland and University College London. And he says that um, very often the people who are in college when he's giving them these talks a couple of years later are people who are making decisions in HR and guess whom they contact? 
uh, it's the person whom they remember. And that's the trainer who had this empathetic connection with them a couple of years back. For sure. And you've got, you've got them for a whole day as a trainer, you know, that if you're going in there and you're making those connections and you're really investing with people and you're thinking much more long-term, you can, you can really inspire people. Inspiration is fantastic. You know, inspiration, I think is one of the most, um, infectious states because it's, yeah, emotions, they tend to be um, very much about the past. You know, something happened to me in the past, therefore I don't like these kinds of things. Something happened to me um, in the past, therefore I like these kinds of things. And it's, it's kind of like your, it's your map of the world is your, your, your emotions. But inspiration, it's a, it's a different part of the brain. It's, it's much more frontal lobe. It's much more whole brain thinking. It's much more connected because it's, it's, it's thinking about the future. It's, it's looking for a way forward. And, and when you speak from a place of inspiration, what, why that's so powerful is it really lifts people out of their emotional map. And it helps them to see much more, you know, a much bigger um, what's possible and what they can do because you, you're really kind of taking them very safely outside their comfort zone. So, you know, speaking from an inspired way, from an inspired place and really connecting with your own inspiration, because inspirations, you can't fake, can't fake it. It's, it, you know, you've got to connect with something real. And when you, when you do so in that way, you can really lift people into, into um, a very powerful and very, um, a very strong connection with you. And, and over time, you know, when you, when you, Bring back to that inspiring place again. When you when you with through a video or piece of marketing that you put out there, it can really light them up and really open things up. There's a there's a really interesting um, model for gardening. Uh, I think it's I think it's called the nine square garden, um, something like that. But it, it's it's basically it's a grid of nine squares that you know, um, thirty centimeters by thirty centimeters blocked out so it's like 90 meters square 90 centimeters squared and what you do is on month one you plant seeds in in box one and then month two you you, know, you maybe you planted some cucumbers and next you plant some potatoes and then the third month you plant some tomatoes and it goes on goes on now the daft thing is when you're planting your courgettes zucchini on month nine right the daft thing is you're harvesting those cucumbers and you might be wondering, well, hang on, I'm planting zucchini. Why am I getting cucumbers? I'm planting tomatoes. Why am I getting potatoes? But the reality is that when, you, when you're marketing, marketing is exactly the same way. When you start marketing, you are planting seeds that are, you're not going to see the harvest from for you know, sometimes years to come. But as you plant a variety of different seeds, as you go through, you may find that when you start marketing, you think, oh, I'm going to try this project. And suddenly, you know, you're getting results from marketing you delivered you know, months ago. Happens with me with coaching all the time. You know, when I first started marketing people for coaching, you know, it, I've got no business, nothing at all. And I wonder what the heck was going on. And then like three years later, when I was no longer doing one-to-one -one coaching, I started getting all these coaching requests. <laughs> Where are these coming from? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Because you, if you don't need coaching, when somebody says they're a coach, then you're not going to go and buy coaching, right? <laughs> you, you, it's only when you need it so you know I, I think marketing you need to you just need to keep planting seeds and and watering them nurturing them and and if you do that with enough um ways of you know finding ways to add value building those connections deepening that empathy those insights around the people that you're looking to serve then you'll find that um you know as the years go by and it does take time 
it really does come back. So associate work, I think, is a, is a great way to kind of bridge that gap and help you plant those seeds that you can yield in years to come. Yeah, it makes sense. And you, you also have to think of it as a kind of, um, let's say, some kind of, I can't even think of the word, actually, um, some kind of ritual, if that's the word that you have to go through. You have to become a trainer somehow, and an, being an associate trainer is a great place. It's a kind of a scholarship, I think that's the word, where you, you work with clients that you would not otherwise have access to as a one-man band, a one-person band. You, you would, wouldn't be able to work with some giant farmers or pharmaceutical companies or sports companies or who knows what, or banks, for example. Uh, but by being an associate, you have the chance to work with those clients and really experience what corporate training looks like. And then in time, when you get that kind of reputation, have the empathy, the relationships with people who can make decisions to hire you. Now, again, this is all, all it's worth emphasizing. This all has to be above board. If you've signed an associate agreement, you do not, under any circumstance, poach clients. But you're nonetheless generating a reputation for yourself as a competent, reliable trainer who gets results. So that can only help you. Um, so in time, um, when you feel that you're, you know, robust enough and skilled enough and competent enough, um, you can then legitimately go and, you know, get your own clients and and charge those big day rates. But you have to do the work where you literally, as you're saying, plant the the, the zucchini or plant those vegetables. And then <laughs> I have the vegetables in my mind now. Um, and then that is really what's going to pay the dividends later on. But don't don't just, you know, market, stick things up on LinkedIn and expect the phone to ring. It does take time to generate that kind of, uh, that goodwill, you know, put the goodwill in the bank, as someone said to me recently. You, you literally have to have that reputation. Marketing is not the only thing. You actually have to have something behind it. Um, marketing helps when you've got that thing already, but uh, you can't expect to just sort of put up some Facebook ads or LinkedIn videos and expect the phone to ring if you already haven't got the kind of skills to literally deliver a program, design a, and deliver a program that that's worth what you're charging. That makes sense. A hundred percent. When life hands you lemons, it's probably because you planted them years ago, <laughs> but use what you get from those lemons to plant some aubergines or something like that. Okay. Something very confused, <laughs> something gardening related. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, on the note of zucchinis and lemons, uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the program this morning. Before we go, where can people find out more about you? Let's just give, give those links again and maybe some contact details. So I'm a changemaker.com is uh, where I, I I'm focusing my efforts at the moment. It's I am a uh, changemaker.com and there's lots of free stuff there around vision building and support to helping you um, get your focus really clear crystal clear but what it what it's working towards is m- my vision is to have um change makers professionals from around the world come to hang out in tuscany with me and um spend a few days from time to time and, and pick um, those lemons really pick those lemons but but also kind of it's about working together to lend each other's um, expertise and insights um, to to each other's projects so that we can really make some significant breakthroughs that make a difference in the world and also support projects that would not be able to be part of that circle um, to really make an impact too. So I'm a changemaker.com. It's really all about building a, a mastermind group of, of change makers and um, who are focused on making a difference in the world. So if that sounds like it, it speaks to you or something that you want to be part of, by all means, reach out to me. But, you know, also if you've got a, a project that, that is, um, you know, a business that's struggling, you've got different, you know, a team where, you know, you feel that they're not performing at the level they can 
be at, then you can always find me on LinkedIn as Andrew Tilling and uh, come and you know, reach out, have a conversation. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk through how, how, you know, together we can be that change maker in your business. Andrew, thank you so much for your time this morning. Wonderful having you on the program. Talk soon. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure. Take care now. Andrew, thank you so much for being our guest on the show this morning. A really uh, close to the bone, I would say, story. A really honest, raw, no-holds-barred story. It really takes courage, I'm sure you'd agree, to come on a podcast or any kind of public forum and to share intimate details like that. Andrew, you're a solid guy. I look forward to working with you again. And maybe we'll speak at some point uh, here on the podcast. And as for you, our listeners, it was great having you with us again this week. I'd like to thank you for your time, for listening to this episode of the show here on trainingbusiness.com. We'd love you to subscribe to the show, to continue to listen to the show. So in case you don't know, there is a fresh episode of Training Business Talk every single Thursday. Could be with me, could be with guests, uh, more than likely with guests, but either way, I look forward to your company again next week. You, You could leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd love you to do that because that helps us to promote the show and to attract the right guests, experts, and people like Andrew, uh, who are experts in what they do, because often they are willing to share a story with you, the kind of which you'll not hear else or anywhere else. Um, You can check out the podcast, as always, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and of course, on our website, which is www.trainingbusiness.com. So once again, until next Thursday, bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.